open your Bibles, please, to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, chapter number 22. All week long, I had planned on continuing along with the theme that I started back about, uh, I guess, the 1st of January, talking about our need to grow and to mature spiritually and to be making progress in our Christian lives. And, uh, you know, it's one thing for a preacher to get all of that settled in his mind. It's another thing for, uh, you know, for the Lord to be pleased with what you've got on your mind. It's one thing for a preacher to get a hold of a message. It's another thing when a message gets hold of a preacher. And so that's kind of what happened this week. I can't explain it. I fought against it, but the Lord prevailed. I I read a verse of Scripture in my, you know, regular daily Bible reading, and uh, I read chapter 22 and verse number 3, and I, I just can't get it off of my heart and out of my mind. And so I argued a bit with the Lord. I thought, Lord, I don't like these last-minute kind of deals. And besides that, Lord, it's a really, really, really big subject. And besides that, you know, I, there's still a lot of things I could learn about it. And besides that, I, I don't have it all outlined just like I would want it to be. And I, I really would, you know, like to have another week. And I could preach this next week. God doesn't listen to my reasoning very well, <laughs> and uh, that's because, you know, he, he knows what's best and I don't. So, Revelation 22, verse 3, and this is the verse, especially the first part of it actually is the text for the message, and there shall be no more curse. You know, this is a subject that's almost never mentioned. God's curse. Some of you have never heard a sermon on this subject. And yet the Bible says a great deal about it. We go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter number 3 where we have the account of creation and uh, the fall of man and In chapter number 3, we see a curse being pronounced upon the earth. And then we come all the way through the Bible, and we get here to the last book of the Bible, and, well, here it is again. In fact, we cannot even fully speak about the work of Christ without talking about the subject of a curse. And we'll get to that later. That's found in Galatians chapter number 3. Did you realize that you are living under the effects of a curse today? That fact is stated in Genesis chapter number 3, but it's not only stated, it can be seen. And according to Romans chapter number 8, where Paul is speaking There, about the present condition of the world, he says, the whole creation groaneth, waiting for the adoption to wit, even the redemption of our bodies. So the entire earth, all of creation, it is as it is 
groaning, indicating uh, the, the kind of pain in a woman giving birth to a child. And so all through the Bible, we see this subject of a curse coming up uh, Again and again and again, and we see it clearly when we look around us. And I don't think anyone in their right mind would say that everything in the world is perfect, that nothing could be improved upon, because everybody realizes that everything could be better. So the curse is something that is plain, but it's also something that is painful, because everywhere you look, you see pain and suffering. This world is a difficult place to live in. That's why Job said, man, this born of a woman is a few days in full of trouble. And I am so glad that although it is difficult, that God has given to us exceeding great and precious promises that will enable us to live successfully in this world. And he can't lie. God has never failed to keep a promise. And uh, by the way, when we get over here to Revelation chapter 22, and in our text we see that this is the last promise we'll ever need because it assures us that finally, at long last, everything is going to be perfect. No more curse. Well, let's think about the planet before the curse. Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 31 sums it all up. It says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Well, I can't imagine God doing anything that wasn't very good. But He looked at all of it and He said, It's very good. But can you imagine what the world would have been like before sin and before the curse? I don't even know where to begin trying to describe it. I'm not that smart. I know that there would not have been any thistles in the garden. There would be no thorns uh, on the roses. I suppose no sting in the insects, no poison in the asp, no fury in the beast. No jealousy and lust and pride in the, in the heart of man before that. No rain, perfect environment, no storms, no natural disasters. I mean, if you think the weather in Texas is good, you ain't seen nothing yet. It was perfect back then. Think about it. No suffering, no sickness, no death. And yet in a moment of time, a divine declaration changed everything when God pronounced a curse upon the earth. And we see that there in Genesis 3, beginning in verse number 14, where He cursed the serpent, He cursed Eve, He cursed Adam, He cursed the ground. I mean, all of creation was affected by the pronouncement of a curse upon the earth. I I don't know why I need to spend any more time even talking about that, do I? Because God declared it and we look around and we see it everywhere. 
There is a curse upon the earth. And it's painful. Because whenever we look around and we think about things as they are and everything has been touched and tainted and troubled by this curse, you can't even plant a garden without difficulty. You can't raise crops without a difficulty. Everything, everything is at the cost of labor by the sweat of the brow. God told Adam, you'll earn your bread. Didn't have to do that before, but you do now. And there's pain involved in labor because labor has to do with working to the point of exhaustion. And so instead of God just giving it all to Adam, he said, from now on, you're going to have to work for it. God has enabled us to survive in spite of the curse. We complain about it. It doesn't quite seem fair to us, but we never, we need to remember that as bad as it is, it's better than we deserve. Don't ever forget that because most of our problems of worry and anger and bitterness and all of those things, jealousy, envy and pride, all of those things are in some way related to the fact that we think we deserve more and bigger and better and we don't. We don't deserve anything from God whatsoever. And so this curse that God sent upon the earth brought pain to all of creation, created difficulty for all of us, and even in the very best of times, whenever you're feeling strong and healthy and you've got a little money in the bank and your friends are all agreeable and everything's going good and Maybe you're out on vacation or whatever it is. Even during the best of times, we just get a partial glimpse of creation's beauty because it's all been tainted in some way. It's never as beautiful, never as pure, never as delightful as it once was. And that reminds us that it could be better Because something has marred the beauty, and that something is the curse that God pronounced upon the earth. But what could be the purpose? What could be the purpose of God pronouncing a curse that would produce so much pain and suffering? Well, I certainly cannot understand all of the ways of God. I know He has a wise and a good reason for doing it, but... But I don't understand all of that. I don't need to understand it all. But just simple observation makes certain things clear to me because whenever I really examine this, I see first of all here that in this curse, I actually see a picture of mercy. You see, God could have said that He was going to destroy all of humanity. I mean, He could have killed Adam and Eve on the spot. God could have just blown this world into oblivion. God could have said, this is a mess. I'm going to start all over again. I'll create another world, another couple. But God didn't do that, did He? 
You see, even in this curse, there's a picture of mercy because God did not destroy man. Not only do I see mercy, but I see a picture of misery here because now God, although merciful, is forcing man to live in a cursed world. And again, I remind you, he has a very good, wise reason for doing that. And so we see mercy, we see misery, but we also see a message in all of this because, for one thing, God is letting us know and God compels mankind to live in the light of the fact that he has to suffer for the consequences of his sin. We have this reminder with us 24 hours a day, century after century, living, staring the curse in the face, knowing that things are not perfect, things are not as good as they could be, as they should be, and uh, so consequently we realize that sin has had a, an awful effect upon our lives. And being in the pain of the curse makes us realize our need of God. You see, we might not have ever realized that otherwise. Isn't it amazing that the very God that pronounced the curse turns right around and devised a plan whereby that sinful man could be redeemed. And he provided to Adam and Eve coats of skin. There was a covering for their nakedness. God was letting them know right from the get-go that I have not lost control of the world. I still have plans for you. And I'm going to provide a covering for your sin an answer for your problems. But yet there is the curse staring them in the face every day. That word curse means something that is despised. It speaks about something that is doomed, something that is devoted to destruction. So whenever the Bible talks about a curse being upon us, understand that's the condition that we're in. That's exactly what happens when man disobeys God, when man displeases God, he pronounces a curse upon us. Listen, we're not talking about being cursed by man. We're not talking about casting spells and voodoo and witch doctors and all of that stuff. We're talking about a curse imposed by Almighty God, and it doesn't get any more serious than that. We see many examples of it in the Bible, especially Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. And if you've never read that, when you get home, you might want to just sit down and read that. And over and over and over again, in the light of various sins, God says, you are cursed with a curse. You could sum it all up like this, and it's exactly what God did with the children of Israel that if you obey me, there is a blessing. If you disobey me, there is a curse. And that same thing is true today, and we cannot 
escape it. We call it the law of sowing and reaping. Whatever we sow, we're going to reap. You please God, you'll be blessed. You displease God, you'll be cursed. We even see that in the Psalms. In other words, the very book that we look to for so much comfort also again and again and again pictures suffering and death as a result of sin. There have been some that have suggested that there are many psalms that are not even appropriate for Christians to sing because they're called psalms of war. Talk about vengeance, talking about the shedding of blood. And all of this confuses some people because they don't understand how it is that a a God of love can pronounce a curse, declare doom upon people. What they forget is that God's chief attribute is holiness, not love. God is love, but God is holy, holy, holy. And because God is holy, God hates sin. Because God is just, He must punish sin. There's no way that He can ignore it, or He no longer would be just. Sin must be punished, because God is holy. But, Since God is love, God, with all of His wisdom and out of the depths of His love, devised a plan whereby He could be both just and the justifier of sinful man. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter number 3, and here we see the payment, the payment for the curse. Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, that wasn't the usual mode of of punishment and death for the Jewish people, but rather for the Gentiles, and whenever a criminal was punished, when they were put to death, then their body was hung out on a post somewhere for everybody to see the consequences of them violating the law. And so whenever we picture the sacrifice that Christ made, it talks about the fact that He became a curse for us. Whenever you look at this chapter, you notice several number, uh, a number of things. In verse number 10, for example, we see that we are all cursed in our natural state. Why? Because we've all sinned. We've all violated God's law. Cursed are all of they who are under the law. None of us can keep the law. We cannot be saved by our best efforts to keep God's law. tells us that in verse number 11. The law was never intended to save anyone. Regardless of how hard you try, you could not ever possibly be able to keep the law of God. So we all sin, we all come short of the glory of God, but because of God's grace, He 
was made a curse for us. In other words, He bore the full wrath of God. As the song says, I should have been crucified. Amen? But it was Jesus who suffered and died. God rejected Him so He could receive us. When it speaks about Him being made a curse, I want you to understand that it was God the Father who made Him a curse in that sense. We talk about our responsibility for the death of Christ and that we are sinners, but understand it was the Father, according to Isaiah 53, it was the Father who was behind the entire plan of redemption. Sometimes we think of Calvary as God having lost control. Sometimes we think, you know, Jesus being crucified on the cross means that He was not in control of the situation, and yet He was. He offered Himself willingly as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He became a curse for us. Now, as wonderful as salvation is. And there's nothing in the world more wonderful than that. Amen. Knowing you're a child of God, all of your sins are forgiven, that whenever you die you'll go to heaven, that's all wonderful. But but we're still here on earth right now, right? I want you to understand that although we're in the world, we're not of the world. But we're in it. I mean, we're in it up to our eyeballs. We're in this world, and we are affected by the world. Whenever the Lord saved me, He never removed any scars from my body. He never paid any of my debts. There were no physical changes that took place in my life when the Lord saved me. When the Lord saved me, He did not prevent me from ever having any kind of need of a doctor. Although I'm saved and on my way to heaven, I'm still subject to to sickness and sorrow and pain and all of those things. And yet God in His grace makes it possible for me to survive this hostile atmosphere that we live in here on the planet. That's why he said to the Apostle Paul, whenever he prayed for the Lord to remove the thorn, the Lord said no. Three times he said no, but he said, my grace will be sufficient. I'll get you through it. Now I want you to remember that when we read a while ago from Romans chapter number 8, where it's talking about the whole creation groaneth, waiting for the adoption to wit, And how that ties together with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're talking about Christ allowing Himself to be made a curse for us. All all of this ties together. I know when it speaks about those here that notice the curse of the law, and some people look at that and they just think about the curse in the sense that we're not able to live up to the law, and that means that we are cursed of God, that we are doomed, and all of that is true. But please understand, 
Whenever Christ died on the cross and paid our sin debt, He did something to undo what Adam did. So what Jesus did on the cross in becoming a curse for us has an effect upon the curse that God pronounced upon us. And that's why Paul said in Romans 8, we're waiting for the adoption to wit even the redemption of our bodies because even though right now we are forced to live in this world with all of its difficulty, that's going to change. And that brings us to our text that speaks about the passing of the curse. I want to be very clear about this, and let me just give you a sort of a brief outline of what's to come. First of all, there's what we refer to as the rapture. That's when Jesus comes in the clouds of the air. It doesn't talk about Him coming to the earth to stay. He comes in the clouds of the air and says, And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up together with them in the air. That's the rapture. He comes for His saints. That begins a seven-year tribulation period upon the earth. We won't go into the details of that, but it's the most horrible time in the history of this world. A time like the world has never seen before. At the end of that seven-year period comes what I refer to as the revelation where Christ comes not for His saints, but with His saints. And this time... The Lamb of God comes as the roaring lion of the tribe of Judah to set up His throne here on this earth. Whenever somebody starts talking to you about the world coming to an end, you can let them know you know one thing beyond any shadow of a doubt that regardless of what happens, it's going to keep going at least 1,007 years. Because if Jesus comes today, there's the seven-year tribulation, there's the thousand-year reign, and it's during that thousand-year reign that we're going to rule and reign with Him. Wow. It's going to be a wonderful time. But even then, all those part of the curse is removed during that time. The entire curse is not yet removed from the earth because there is still going to be suffering and there's still going to be death. There'll be unsaved people here on the earth during that time. In fact, there will be enough that Satan can even muster an army together to fight against the Lord for a brief moment at the end of that thousand-year reign. These silly people that keep blaming everything on the environment. If the environment was just better, you know, uh, we'd be better. Really? Well, we're going to have a thousand years where, you know, you keep worrying about who's going to be president and if they'll solve all of our problems or not. For a thousand years, Jesus is going to be the president. He's going to be the king. He's going to rule and he's going to reign. A thousand years and at the end of that time, there are going to be some people so deceived that they would lift up their arm in battle against him and resist him. 
But then comes the end where there will be a new heaven and earth and all the former things shall pass away. And what does our text say? And there shall be no more curse. No more curse. You know, we talk a lot about heaven, how wonderful it's going to be because of the things that will be there. Wow, that's something. Think about all the things that will be in heaven. But we need to think more about the things that will not be there. There will be no debates. There will be no division. There will be no strife, no disappointment, no death, no darkness. So whenever you think about all that heaven brings, stop and think about all the things that is banished in heaven. And John speaks about the fact, he sums it all up by saying there will be no more curse. But in chapter 21 and verse 4 he says, And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. He says all of that, and then he just says there will be no more curse. What a glorious thought that is, no more curse. Makes me think about the old Christmas carol that we sing every year. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow. As far as the curse is found, as far as the curse is found, as far, as far as the curse is found. Indeed, there will be joy to the world in that day because there will be no more curse. Let your imagination just run wild for a little while. Bev loves that song, I Can Only Imagine. Boy, that's become a favorite of a lot of people. I can only imagine. And I, and I want you to understand that whenever you have, when you have exhausted your imagination, when you have come to the end of yourself and you can't think of anything else, you can't think of anything better, I want you to know we can get old Brother Nolan up here and say, Brother Nolan... Saying heaven is better than that. Amen. Because it is. Heaven's better than that. You can't imagine how glorious heaven is going to be. No wonder, no wonder we so much enjoy that song. What a day that will be. I'm so glad that I can close this message the same way that that the Lord closes this book there in chapter 22, verse 20. And John said, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Whenever I started this morning, I had two things in mind. Number one, I realized there are only two kinds of people here. Those that are saved and those that are not. There's nobody in between. Nobody that doesn't fit in one of those categories. You're either saved or you're not saved. And I begin to realize that everybody has some kind of a need. And my purpose in the message was, number one, hopefully that I can be a comfort and encouragement through the truth of this message to those that are saved. 
We all need that, and we need it over and over and over again. That's why Nolan needs to keep singing that song. You need to keep thinking about heaven. You need that encouragement. But as much as you need the comfort that comes from this truth, there are those here today that need the counsel regarding what a warning this is to them. Because if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you are cursed. You are rejected by God Himself. I'm so glad that I can close with the way the Bible, the last invitation of the Bible, where the Lord says here in the very last chapter, if any man thirsts, He said, the Spirit and the Bride, that is the church, says, come. And if any man thirsts, let him come. You see, the Lord, in the very end of the book, is extending an invitation to those that have never received Him, those who are yet living under that awful curse. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, I believe it is, where Paul speaks about those that love not the Lord. And he says, let Him be anaphtha, that is, cursed. Every person that has not received the Lord is living under the curse of the Lord. But listen, regardless of how hard you try, you can't blame God for that. Because He has made every provision in that He gave His own Son to be a curse for you. He took your place. He died in your stead. He paid your debt. And He invites you to come freely and take of the water of life. He's willing to receive you if you're willing to receive His Son. Come freely and let Him take. There will be no more curse. And every Christian can live every day in the light of that wonderful promise that regardless of how bad it is or how good it is, the best is always yet to come. Let's all stand. Father, how we thank You to know that You've given us exceeding great and precious promises and You cannot lie. How we thank You, Heavenly Father, to know that You've never failed to keep a promise. You've never failed to fulfill a prophecy. And we can live our lives in the light of this glorious fact that there's coming a time when there will be no more curse. That we can live in perfect harmony and perfect fellowship with You each each and every moment throughout all of eternity. And I pray that you'll turn our hearts toward home this morning, that you'll help us to live by day by day focused on things that are above instead of the things of this earth. And Heavenly Father, for those that are here today that have still not yet, not yet received Christ as their Savior, 
May the Holy Spirit work in their heart, enlighten their minds, and draw them, as it were, to the cross that they might be saved, that the curse might be removed, that they could come to know Christ in the free pardon of sin, for we ask it all in His name for His sake.